0: the first canto of his Inferno, Dante finds himself alone and frightened. Then another appears, bringing even more fear. Once the other identifies himself, however, Dante exclaims, are you then Virgil, the fountainhead that pours so full a stream of speech? O oh, glory and light of all other poets, let my long study and great love avail that made me delve so deep into your volume. You are my teacher and my author. You are the one from whom alone I took the noble style that has brought me honor. The volume into which Dante delved so deeply was Virgil's great epic, The Aeneid. From Wyoming Catholic College, this is the After Dinner Scholar and I'm your host, Dr. Jim Tonkowicz. The Aeneid tells us about the founding of Rome. It begins with the destruction of Troy at the end of the Trojan War, the war that is described in Homer's Iliad. As the Greeks burn and sack Troy, Aeneas escapes with his father, his son, the household gods, and a band of fellow refugees. Wanting to found a new Troy, greater, more powerful, more magnificent than the old Troy. The gods have said that they will do it in Italy. Dr. Tiffany Schubert has been reading the Aeneid with our Wyoming Catholic College sophomores, and I asked her to explain how Virgil came to write the book.
1: Augustus, the first emperor of Rome, had read Virgil's poetry and admired it immensely and had asked him to write a poem right about about Rome. So there is there is certainly political motivation for the Aeneid and and yet I think it transcends the particular political motivations that Augustus has that, that Rome has even.
0: Why was it important to portray the founder of Rome as a displaced Trojan who only fulfills his destiny with great sacrifice and suffering?
1: In part I think Virgil wants to give to Augustus uh, a model for what a leader is. Aeneas is the leader who, who yeah, dutifully sacrifices his own interests, his loves, his, his attachment to Troy, his, his happiness in so many ways for the sake of his great mission, for the sake of his people, for something higher than himself. And, and so Virgil is offering a model, a hope, perhaps, for the kind of, the kind of ruler that I guess this could be, really the kind of hero, that, the kind of heroism that, that, that Rome should aspire to. Now, the, the idea of, of Aeneas as you know, displaced hero, the kind of the fugitive, the, the wanderer, is certainly deeply tied up with the Roman identity. The, the, the Romans have a sense of themselves as having come from somewhere else, uh, they're not actually, they don't have a myth of Roman people springing up from the ground, which a number of ancient cities and ancient peoples do. So the, the Romans sort of always have come from other places. At least according to legends, Romulus makes Rome uh, a haven for refugees, for, for fugitives, for perhaps people who are not the most socially desirable. But Rome has this kind of openness to it, so there's something deeply symbolic about the fact that Aeneas is this, this, this fugitive. But it's also Virgil's wondering, pondering, reflecting on the, really the relationship between the past and the present. So it's important that Aeneas has had a home, a home that he was deeply attached to and that he loved so much, really all he wants to do. And, and then you just go back and found Troy if he had his way. So he's, he has a home, he has a past. But what he is being directed towards is the future, is to a new city and to a new realm. And, and of course, Virgil himself is living in this transitional moment where the old Roman Republic is dead and now we have a new, a new Roman empire. So what do we do with that? How do we understand our attachment to the past, the home we had in the past? How do we carry that forward with us to this new home, right? To this new to this new way of life? Right, without without losing that past, but then also uh, without letting the past prevent us from actually moving forward at all.
0: And Of course, we have that wonderful image early in the book of Aeneas carrying his father and leading his son by the hand.
1: That's right. It's this archetypal scene. And actually, when I teach our Roman class, I, I almost always begin with that image as an image for for our curriculum for the class for for Rome itself it's just such a potent image of that bringing the past with you like literally carrying it on your shoulders so that, that that reverence that pietas towards towards the ancestors towards those who have gone before but but oriented and directed towards the future right? you bringing the past and its and its goodness into the future, so that Aeneas is, has Ascanius with him, orienting himself towards that. So, we present this idea to the students as well. And we're, we're here endowing them with a sense of the wisdom of the past, with the heritage of, of the Western tradition. But we're we're granting that to them, or giving that to them, bestowing that upon them, not so that they just right, go and they you know, they don't refound little Troy's, right? but they they go out into the world and bringing the tradition with them and finding uh, new ways you know, establishing establishing Rome.
0: You use the word pietas. Aeneas is known throughout the book as pious Aeneas. What what does that mean?
1: You think when when we moderns hear piety, we think immediately of religion. We might also think of, uh, it seems like a kind of delicate or sort of fussy virtue. I think, I don't don't know that we have a sort of noble associations with with piety. For For the Romans though, it is one of their central virtues. And piety is that virtue that takes over when you're in a situation in which you have an obligation to something, but that obligation is an obligation that you can never repay. So it's, it's, it's kind of related to justice, but it's in those occasions when justice is not sufficient. So you have a deep obligation to, to the gods, of course, and you can't repay the gods ever. So you're just offering the gods pietas, that, that worshipful reverence, care, and concern. But you also have a reverence to an obligation to your family to your parents, which you can't ever repay. You can't repay your parents for giving you existence. So you extend to them pietas. And then you owe pietas to the state, to the city, to the nation, to your people. In a debt, an obligation, you can't repay. And so you, you show pietas. And I think one of the very interesting facets that Virgil adds to, or at least presents in the Aeneid, is the idea of a pietas that's ordered towards the future. And I think that's one of the things we see in that image of Aeneas carrying Anchises and then holding Ascanius by the hand is that he has pietas towards the past, but he also has a pietas towards the future. He actually has an obligation and responsibility to to his son and, and of course, to to all of Rome.
0: You know, so it's always been interesting to me that the... Uh... Poem has Aeneas journeying into the underworld. He ends up in the Elysian fields, where the souls not only of the virtuous dead or, are there, but the virtuous to be born souls or to be born a second time souls. Is that image sort of the same kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. Even as he's descending into death and seeing. The past, he is also seeing the future, and of course, it's a it's such a funny thing because the future that he's seeing in those souls who are going to be reborn are, of course, Virgil's past. Right? They're, they're past for the for the Aeneid. So he's reviewing all these heroes from the the monarchical period, from the republican period, and and then from the early very very early Imperial period as well but Augustus, Virgil presents them as the Augustus future. Augustus
0: Caesar is there that's right uh, yes that,
1: that's that's right. right he's he's there uh, Caesar Caesar Julius Caesar is is there Pompey is there right uh, yeah so these these sort of these great figures uh, but Aeneas is being presented with this grand vision of the future that 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 yeah he is supposed to be uh, to show to show pietas towards, but it, but in fact there it becomes more than uh, than pietas. It becomes, or I should say, more than more than a kind of sacrificial duty, which is very much what Aeneas has been showing throughout most of the Iliad and, and and does continue to show throughout the whole of the poem. But there he's he's fired up in his soul with desire for a longing for, a love for the greatness of Rome and the glorious future that is to come. So it's part of this conversion of Aeneas from sad, reluctant hero who has to leave his home to one who is genuinely captured by the glory and the beauty of the Roman mission.
0: Finally, the Trojans reach Italy and while things look great there for a little while, the goddess Juno creates chaos and war. And what follows uh, are chapters uh, of bloodshed, and with the poem even ending, relentless, Aeneas sinks his sword into the chest of Turnus. His limbs fell slack with chill, and with a moan, his life, resentful, fled to shadows below. The End. It's all so violent in those last few chapters. What was Virgil saying about the nature of Rome? Of course,
1: you're right. The beginning of the Aeneid is, Arma huer cano, arms and a man I sing. So the first word of the Aeneid, establishes the relationship between the Roman hero, Rome itself, and violence and war. And it is utterly tied up in the Roman identity and the Roman project. Rome Rome will be an imperial power, right? Rome will be a military power, Rome will fight. And, and Virgil is of course profoundly aware of this. It, but throughout the Aeneid, we see Virgil reflecting on how to fight, how to fight justly, rationally, there's a moment in book two when Troy is being sacked and Aeneas is getting ready to go out and fight. And, and he, you know, he asks himself, what, what, what reason for arms here? There is no reason for arms. There's a kind of uh, battle fury and madness that he is engaged in as he as he goes out into the city. So that's a real possibility is this, this madness of violence, this madness of, of warfare. And Juno seems very much allied with that kind of fighting, this this, this, this is, this battle fury. And Juno's very hard to contain. Keep trying to contain her. Uh, the Romans try to appease her. Actually, Aeneas is told. Best piece of advice, Aeneas, right, make peace with Juno. Get Juno on your side. But it's very, very difficult to do. So as we enter into the Italian books, of course, we, we continue to see this Juno-esque Battle fury madness uh, continue to overwhelm Aeneas' attempts to wage war. You could say, right, more more rationally, more more justly, more, more more in a more controlled manner. But then Aeneas himself perhaps is consumed by that and gives into it. We see him He, he has this Aristeia where he rages against the the. the the, the, the Italians, and is slaughtering with reckless abandon in really disturbing ways. And so there, there, I think this is the real question about the ending of the Aeneid. Right? Does the battle fury of Juno win out in the end? And does even Aeneas succumb to it? And is the whole Roman project weak and in danger because of this? On the other hand, there's another there's another way to read this final moment. And and we would have to recall that Juno and Jupiter have a very important conversation before the end of the Aeneid in which she is reconciled to the Roman project with the stipulation that they will not be called Trojans. That's very important to her. So we actually have a reconciliation between perhaps Jove, who is this rational cosmic perspective, and Juno, who is this thematic rage that is attached to a sense of sense of being treated unjustly and and an attachment to the particulars she loves she loves Carthage she does not love she does not love Rome but she comes into Rome so maybe or maybe Rome can somehow actually succeed in a kind of taming of Rome like a kind of taming of Juno and so perhaps what happens at the very end is that Yes, Aeneas is full of rage, and yes, he is committing violence. But Aeneas is doing it for the sake of his pietas, perhaps. His pietas to Evander, who is the father of Pallas, who is the, the young boy that Turnus kills, which is why Aeneas kills, kills Turnus, or at least the kind of most immediate cause for the death of Turnus. So he owes a kind of pietas to, to him. Aeneas also talks about basically offering Turnus as a kind of sacrifice to Pallas. So and perhaps this is a an act of an offering, and offerings are you know are always violent, but an offering to the future of Rome itself.
0: After reading the Iliad and the Odyssey, what do our students think about this Roman epic as uh, over against the Greeks?
1: Generally, I have found that they love the Aeneid. Uh, there's something about Aeneas himself and the cosmos that he lives in that is that is familiar to us, even even though he is an ancient poet writing in a very, very different time. There's something about Aeneas that really speaks to us and I think especially speaks to, to Christians, that that sense of one who is devoted to a cause higher than oneself and that one sacrifices for that cause and that and that one has a sense of the goodness of others or working for the good of others which is is harder to see in someone like achilles and and and, and maybe even odysseus right in in some ways and then virgil's cosmos is very complicated and, and maybe not not totally consistent. But nevertheless, we have a sense that it is a cosmos that has order, that is that has a just order, that there's a, a, a plan. And not just the, the plan of Zeus in the Iliad for, for Achilles, but a cosmic plan for the whole world that does, of course, involve the Roman Empire and the founding of, of Rome by Aeneas. But that sense of totality that, that Virgil gives us, I think is it makes Virgil a really, really wonderful to read and 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 have, invites a kind of modern reader to feel at home in the cosmos of the Aeneid.
0: C.S. Lewis wrote, quote, in a sense, Aeneas is a ghost of Troy until he becomes the father of Rome. All through the poem, we are turning that corner. It is this which gives the reader of the Aeneid the sense of having lived through so much. No man who has once read it with full perception remains an adolescent. Close quote. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowich.